tells on earth or cool oases. A large proportion of the EU's population lives in cities, and city dwellers are arguably the ones who suffer most from the effects of climate change. Welcome back to the Green Deal podcast. In this episode, we look at a number of facets of urban planning, including green spaces and space in general. We meet experts from all over the EU who encourage us to take a step back in order to come up with a more holistic vision. It is crucial to mitigate the effects of climate change today at every level, starting from the design of an individual building, then to micro-scale and up to large-scale, urban-scale, that of the neighborhood and the whole city. This is whether we are talking about new cities or, as is often the case in Europe and North America, the transformation of existing ones. We just heard architect and urban planner Carlo Ratti speaking to Giulia Cannizzaro from Radio 24 in Milan. Ratti also teaches at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology in Boston, USA, where he directs the MIT Sensible City Lab, which investigates and anticipates how digital technologies are changing the way people live and what their implications are at urban scale. Because of the number of people living in them, cities embody many of the challenges facing global society, not only in terms of climate change and our adaptation to it, but also in terms of societal change. They are both part of the problem and part of the solution. So what should the cities of the future look like? Well, we are talking more and more about smart cities, as Michaela Zamfir from Bucharest Ion Minciu University of Architecture and Urbanism explains to Radio Romania journalist Robina Cornaciu. They are cities that take into account many aspects. They're smart cities. We're talking about cities that are designed around natural features. They aim to protect wildlife and natural resources. And through a unified vision for the region, for the locality, the city becomes more compact and dense in order to limit its impact on the ecosystem. We're talking about protecting water systems. We're talking about energy-focused cities. A city of the future is designed to produce enough power to be self-sustaining. The buildings in such a city are designed with the aim of sharing energy resources. They generate an amount of energy equal to their consumption. They are cities that offer amenities, short distances, mobility, green spaces, and access to all the functions that are necessary for quality of life. They're cities that have a good infrastructure, are built efficiently, are easy to get around, and even make it easy to live at a distance from the center, with high-speed trains so that we spend as little time as possible in traffic. And the idea is to stay outside the city, to arrive by train, say, in an intermodal center. The key thing in a smart city, in an intelligent city, a green city, a city of the future, is to be connected to transport. Most of us who live in cities experience a scorching summer on concrete and the difficult quest to keep cool. Scientists from the European Commission's Joint Research Center have examined the difference between summer surface temperatures in urban areas with more than 50,000 inhabitants and in their rural surroundings, looking at data from between 2003 and 2020. They found that surface temperatures in cities were sometimes 10 to 15 degrees higher 
than in the nearby rural areas, and that these temperatures are on the rise. For city dwellers, this means an increased risk of age-related illness and even death. This is why cooling the cities of the future is a key priority for urban planning. And identifying green ways of doing this will not only save lives, but also avoid excessive energy consumption on air conditioning. Marco Kulautz, CEO of Grenestonia, a green energy company, outlined some of the issues to Marta Wallner at Kukku Radio. It is clear. Urbanization is reality, and considering that 50% of all energy consumption is related to heating and cooling, urban energy solutions are crucial if you want to prevent climate change and be environmentally conscious. Any solutions that contribute to this goal are valuable. It starts with urban planning and determining where there should be green spaces in the city. Also, what to do with rooftops, whether to install solar panels or opt for vegetation-based solutions. Roofs typically absorb heat since they are often dark in color. Solar panels, being dark, also contribute to the creation of heat islands. Then, that there are ways we can reduce the impact of a heat wave in a city. Replacing dark roofs with lighter ones, or better still with green roofs, using materials that deflect the sun's rays, planting more trees and vegetation. Indeed, as Carlo Ratti points out, even just creating more areas of shadow can be beneficial. In addition to natural interventions, we can also think about artificial ones, such as how to better shade our cities. This is nothing new. It's something that has been done for centuries, both in Italian cities and particularly in areas with hot and arid climates like the Middle East, where different kinds of shadows give us a better experience of the streets, even during hot and sultry periods. According to a study published in the scientific journal The Lancet, if a city vegetation cover reached 30% of its surface area, the average temperature in these urban areas could fall by 0.4 degrees. The study reports that this could cut death directly linked to heat waves by a third. But it's not only numbers of trees that count. As landscape architects Dr. Maja Simonetti tells Natasha Godek at RTV Slovenia. This is not just about green roofs. This is not just about planting trees. Today there is a new paradigm that talks about planting smaller groups of trees that resemble a forest, that have even more power than a single tree in the pavement power in terms of how they cool, how they humidify, how they retain water, and how they offer us shade and other benefits. The cities of the future have an increasingly green image in these visions. On the other hand, she adds, society is hesitant to actually embark on a path of change. Polish landscape architect Ursula forsyk Bratanie, a professor at Krakow University of Technology, also advocates 30% vegetation coverage and for nobody to be more than 300 meters from the nearest park. And she concurs with Maya Simonetti. Trees should not be planted randomly. There's a lot of talk about green infrastructure based on continuity. In the same way that road infrastructure must be continuous in order to function, in order for us to get from place to place, 
Green infrastructure has to be continuous and designed in such a way that it achieves its goals, the positive impact associated with greenery. The green roof, of course, is a very good solution in terms of architecture and what happens in architecture. Being surrounded by greenery is very important. But if it's going to be islands, isolated from one another, it's never going to have the same benefits as a continuous green system that comes in the form of green and blue infrastructure. Therefore, we need to approach greenery systemically. Another key element of urban planning, at Simonetti, is the creation of a real social infrastructure. And this within walking distance of people's homes. This is an urban policy where we talk about building new housing together with new public open spaces, green spaces, new kindergartens, schools, libraries and other facilities that can host the services people need. And they have to be close enough. Distances are the key thing here. Suddenly, they have become very important. In this great heat, in this hardship, distances have really become important. The shorter the distances, the more likely it is that we will get to these places and that we'll get there on foot. On foot, without contributing to climate change. That is to say, creating climate change through traffic. These are big new tasks that are not just tasks for urban planning, but above all tasks for political consensus, for the consensus of people and society. So if we want everyone to be able to live closer to amenities, we may need to think about restricting the space that individual homes take up on the ground. But are we really willing to reconsider our whole modus vivendi to rise to these challenges? Zina Volkham of German radio station AMS asks Angelika Lass. We might have to consider how much space we actually need for living. Does it have to be a detached house with a surrounding garden? Because that's the form of housing that takes up the most space on Earth's surface. I would say that's where it starts, moving closer together. Moving together means putting several flats in one house. In other words, no longer continuing with the basic type of single-family house and seeing it as a desirable goal. Saving space by building multi-family houses that are flexible, where we can build different flats, where we can easily add a wall or tear it down if needed. I always like to say, look again at the houses from the 50s. Why not? They were reasonably sized. Back then, it wasn't 100 square meters for one or two people. This type of brainstorming is encouraged at EU level through the new European Bauhaus, a creative initiative that was launched in 2020 to connect the Green Deal to our living spaces and experiences. Joanna Lages, urban architect and researcher at ISCTE, the University Institute of Lisbon, highlights the importance of this initiative. This post-pandemic pact looks at cities from three axes. The axis of beauty is a fundamental one, as cities have to be beautiful. But they must also be inclusive and sustainable. The European Union has created a running thread that gives value to these three interdependent dimensions relating to the urban space and the transformation of urban spaces. This is an interesting dimension that's mirrored in some activities and projects being rolled out in Portugal, but certainly also in the European network that was created from this programme. 
Indeed, through a multidisciplinary approach, the new European Bauhaus brings citizens, experts, businesses and institutions together to reimagine and promote new sustainable ways of living, but not at the expense of style or beauty. Crucially, it also provides funding to support enriching, sustainable and inclusive projects across Europe and beyond with a view to accelerating the green transition. Thanks for listening. That's it for today. We meet again in two weeks' time for another episode. We'll be looking at how the private sector deals with climate challenges. Stay tuned. <laughs>